Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Everyone, you are listening to the latest Flyers Talk podcast. I am Jordan Hall, and as always, I am joined by the wonderful Brooke Destra, and we have our favorite Monday guest, Taryn Hatcher, as always on Mondays. Girls, happy holidays. Flyers fans, I hope you enjoyed your holiday, but we've got some hockey to talk about. we got the season nearing, we have training camp nearing, and now we know the Flyers' schedule, a 56-game kind of sprint. Uh, in a way, a condensed schedule, a lot less travel. Taryn, you know very, very well how crazy the travel was last season, especially at the start of the season. The Flyers played in a span of 13 days. They played in four countries, if you include the preseason finale in Switzerland. This season, over the entire 2020-21 campaign, they won't leave the Northeast region. Taryn, how beneficial do you think that could be for the Flyers in terms of that lesser travel? I think it's huge. Um, the thing that's interesting, too, is that when you look at when the Flyers really started to settle in and find their game, it came once the craziness of their travel schedule calmed down. Like, we talk about, you know, the the Europe trip and then the one home game and then the Western Canada trip. But I think people sometimes forget that the November after that, they played, I think a franchise record number of games had a franchise record number of wins in a month um, or points in a month. Sorry. And they were all, we were all over for that as well. Like I remember being more tired after the month of November than after uh, October because it was just, we would be home for three days and then flying up to Montreal and then flying back that night. And then, you know, and the guys will never, I think publicly really complain about it because it's just not one of those things that most hockey players are willing to whine about really. Um, But it's something that if you, if you catch them on an off day and you just have a conversation with them about it, they're kind of like, yeah, I'm beat. Like I'm, I'm just, I can't wait to get back to my bed and my kids or my dog or my girlfriend or my wife or whoever. Um, and just kind of, cause when you're on the road, you have down periods, but it's not the same. So like a typical day for me, and I'm not even physically exerting the same amount of energy is, you know, you fly in the afternoon before the game you get there right before dinner. A lot of times the guys go out to dinner. We'll all see them when the broadcasters go out to our broadcast dinner. You come back and you try to, you know, just get some sleep. They went to practice before they got on the plane. And then the next day 
you wake up in the morning, they're on a bus to go to morning skate by like nine. They're at morning skate by 10. They come back and some of them try to take naps. Um, but then it's a lot of meetings, pregame meal, get on the bus by like three forty-five, and then the game starts at seven. It, the day you just don't own any real chunk of your day. So to have, um, to not have stretches on the road where those are what your days are like to have time at home, I think is huge. And also when you look at it, like a lot of these games, I have it up right now. A lot of these games are either like an hour flight, like a one hour flight or a bus ride or a train ride. And the, the part of that that's important becomes your rest. Like, when you have a long flight, if you're coming in from like a Florida or um, I don't know, like a Chicago kind of flight where it's a little bit longer, you get, we fly in and we get home at like two, sometimes two 30 in the morning. And then you're driving from the airport. Most of the time you get home at like three, three 30. Um, and the flyers had a couple of those games where that was the case. And then they had another game the next day, like they had a back to back. So yeah, I could, I was sitting here just detailing all of the flight plans of all time, but um, yeah, I just sit there and I look at the schedule and I'm like, man, this is nice. You, you look at where they travel and they're home for four games to start the season. And then it's, it's Boston, which is a, a quick flight um, and an easy arena to hotel situation. New Jersey's a drive. Um, home for four more games. Washington's a train ride. New Jersey again is home. Rangers is a drive. Like it's, it, it's just a little bit more comfortable. Yeah. Uh, Chuck Fletcher, general manager of the Flyers said he was very pleased with the Flyers' schedule. He said he anticipated less rest, um, uh, just more kind of chaos in that, in that regard. And he was very pleased with it. And he mentioned that the Flyers will only have to fly to Boston, Buffalo, and Pittsburgh, and then they'll travel via bus to Washington, New Jersey, and both the New York clubs. Uh, Brooke, we know there's eight back-to-backs. We know the schedule is condensed uh, compared to maybe what a 56-game slate would be in a regular year. What stands out most to you, any stretch or any aspect of it, what stands out most to you with this 2020-21 schedule? I mean, right off the bat, I'm not going to lie. I don't see a lot of concern with the Flyers schedule, which is a nice change of pace because it's something that I feel like everybody's been discussing over the past few years. You kind of feel like the Flyers have kind of gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to scheduling. And I know Taryn touched on it in the beginning of the podcast, but it always seemed like whenever things were going right for this team, it was like, here's a crappy schedule to throw a wrench into your plans. So it's kind of exciting to not have to look at the schedule and feel a lot of worry or stress about, okay, this span of games is going to be really concerning. I mean, there are, I mean, I think back-to-backs whenever they're going to play Boston, it's going to be concerning. I'm really curious to see because past few years, they've really struggled against the Islanders. I'm curious to see if those are going to be back-to-backs where maybe they come back and win one. Maybe they'll take both games. That seems like a rarity. I really only see them 
struggling against the New York for some reason and Boston. Um, but I don't think people understand unless they go through it, how mentally draining traveling really is, especially like, like I get tired when I fly on vacation. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it on a daily basis for my career. So I think the fact rest is going to play a huge factor for them. And I'm, I'm not necessarily concerned, but more so curious to see how the flyers are going to approach those struggle teams that they've, they've dealt um, with at difficulty for the past few years, like how they bounce back against the Islanders, how they handle Boston, who had, I don't think they, they really lost consecutive games last year on aside from a handful of times. So it's interesting to say the least, but I mean, I'm, I'm happy to sit here and be like, yeah, I'm not looking at a single stretch of games where I'm panicking because granted it is against the same seven teams. So I think we're going to get a taste really early on of what to expect from each team and kind of just go from there. But I mean, again, what a nice sigh of relief to just not look at the schedule and be like, are you kidding me? And we yeah. don't have to deal with a West Coast road trip this week. <laughs> right after Christmas, yeah. <laughs> uh, interesting. Hallelujah. Interesting too, yes. to Brooke, because I was just looking at the schedule. Um, once you said the Islanders thing, I think they actually have the fewest back-to-backs against the Islanders of any team that they play. I see two against the Islanders, two back-to-backs, um, and then three against the Sabres. And then other than that, most of their back-to-backs are Boston, Pittsburgh, and Washington. So that could be a huge help as well because the the Islanders back-to-back – and the, it seems like – I hope I'm not going to like get in trouble for saying this. My experience on the planes or the buses or the trains – is that after the Islanders game, those games seem to physically take the most out of those guys. It's the Islanders games. Like everybody looks a little bit physically worse for wear after they play the Islanders specifically. Um, I don't really know why. I think it might just be their style of play and how frustrating they are, but um, that actually could be a huge help is <laughs> not having a bunch of back-to-backs against them. They only have the two. I mean, I'm literally just scrolling through the schedule as we're talking about this. But when you said that, I was immediately like, oh God. And so I looked at it and I only see two, one back-to-back against the Islanders in J- at the end of January and then one again in mid-March. And then other than that, they see them all in kind of single standalone games. So hopefully that that helps him as well but yeah i i I feel the same way not being in in california or arizona right now is really (laughs) making my heart sing let me tell you well you look you look prepared for the beautiful cold weather here in the northeast taryn yeah it's because i didn't do my hair today so i put a hat on But we did did the same thing i guarantee you ask her brooke absolutely yeah absolutely it's winter Both chic, baby. Welcome to, welcome to my North Philly chalet. <laughs> <laughs> Both Brooke and Taryn looking very, very winter-like, very bundled and warm. Uh, but I know, they're ready for, I know they're ready for the cold hockey. And I did notice the Flyers last year, they played their first 56 games over a span of 130 days. This season will be 
56 games in a span of 116. But like we mentioned, you probably are going to make that up in terms of just the lesser travel and uh, what that can do for the body of these players as they try to get through this grind. And yeah, I I don't think there's anything you really can complain a ton about. Maybe if anything, the biggest concern is just the competition. Chuck Fletcher mentioned the division looks really stacked. It's going to be fun games because the competition is so stiff. You even look at a team like Buffalo, a lot of people, that might be one of the lesser teams in the division, but a lot of people think Buffalo could, could be a team on the rise, maybe a sleeper team after they got Taylor Hall. Like, what's the worst team in the division? Probably the Devils. And you always know those Not teams. Not probably. It's the Devils. Yeah, it's, it's the, the Devils. Devils. Let's be real. It's the Devils. Sorry. The they, <laughs> they tried so hard, and they came so far, and in the end, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well played. Well played. I mean, but here's here's the other thing as well that we have to keep in mind is that we're also we are talking about the Flyers based off of the 2019-2020 Flyers and how they did generally against the Metro and some of the Atlantic, which is the East this year. Um, And you just you got to hope that same caliber team shows up because I think we all remember the postseason and. I don't, I have no attributing factor other than it's Corona and everybody was scrambling to do their best. But like, I, I know Sean Couturier was just talking about how limited he was and certain things he could do. And you, you wonder how many people really dealt with that on different levels. So we'll see. It all depends what team shows up, but that's for every city. So indeed, there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Tis the season to thrill at the Nissan year-end sales event. Get in, then get out, and experience the most riveting ride of the year in a brand new Nissan. These savings on Nissan's lineup are sure to raise your pulse. So we'll get into another concern a little bit later on. But first, let's play a clip from General Manager Chuck Fletcher's interview recently. He discussed Philip Myers, the potential of the Flyers' top defensive pair, and where he would like to see Myers grow the most. You know, at, at even strength, I hear top pair and second pair and all this. I, I sometimes, um, you know, I think those are a little bit misleading. I, I mean, I, I think at even strength, our, our ice time's relatively even, evenly allocated. But, um, you yeah, know, I really like Sandheim and Myers together. I think they have great chemistry. I like the way they complement each other. I like the way they play the game. And I like that they're both um, continuing to evolve and develop into really good National Hockey League defenseman, but, you know, ultimately that'll be up to, um, you know, A.B. And, and, and his coaching staff to decide. And, you know, I my conversations with A.V., I mean, you know, I think we're open-minded to anything. I mean, there, we could have different pairings depending on the time of the game, the score of the game. Um, a lot of it's going to depend on health and how players are performing, but, you know, I can assure you Provorov will get lots of ice time, and I think Sandheim and Myers will, and, and uh, you know, we have some guys that are competing to increase their role. The one thing I will say about Philip Myers, uh, you know, with Niskanen 
retiring, there's there's now uh, potentially more PK ice time available. Uh, Phil did not uh, kill a lot last year for us, and that's a role I think he can excel at um, as he gains experience in the league. So, you know, we're excited about Phil's future, and and I think there's opportunity for Phil to take on a bigger role regardless of the of, of the pair. Um, uh, the pair that he's in. So, Brooke, we heard Chuck Fletcher talk about Philip Myers. Um, I think he didn't want to pump up expectations too much, but they are obviously very high on Myers and his upside. Clearly, he's a candidate candidate to be uh, alongside Ivan Provorov on that top pair. But I found it very interesting that he, that he said he thinks Myers could grow the most on the penalty kill. He thinks he, Myers is a player that could excel in that role, and he could eat up a lot of minutes there. Uh, take on some of Niskanen's responsibilities? Because as we know, Myers did not kill a lot of penalties last year. Um, I found that very interesting, just given Myers is a guy with offensive upside and looks like he could play top pair type of style. Where would you like to see Myers grow most? Where do you think he could grow most next season? Again, it's I feel like we always have these kind of conversations with Phil Myers in regard to his like growth and everything. But at the end of the day, when we look ahead to the end of next season, he's going to expand his game in every single aspect that he plays. He's that kind of player. He's young enough where he's going to hopefully take in everything that Chuck Fletcher, Elaine Vigneault are saying to him, giving him these opportunities for. So I don't think it's just going to be one aspect of his game where we can look at when the 2021 season wraps and be like, Oh yeah, that's where he excelled. Um, I think, like you said, it was definitely interesting to hear the penalty kill. Um, but again, I think that that might just be a situation where not prompting him, but was like, hey, we know that we have this void to fill with Matt Diskin and retiring. So let's see if we have one of these younger guys with the ability to just kind of step up and fill that or kind of grow into that kind of role and experience and opportunity. Um, I think that's where I got, that's basically what I got from Fletcher's comments in regard to that. Um, I, I know that he has potential on that top line with Provorov. I think that he really does have a solid chance to lock in that kind of that spot in the top pair, but I also can't, you know, I don't think anyone can deny the fact that when him and Sandheim we're on that second pair together throughout the season. You really saw these two young defensemen growing into a really mature role and pairing and their chemistry was really great together. And I think a big Vigneault wasn't afraid to put them against some of the top lines, top pairs in the league. They were able to build off of confidence with the relationship that they had with Vigneault and it's just I, I really just see a bunch of different opportunities for these guys to grow, especially Myers. And who knows, maybe he does have that potential to grow into even the penalty killer that we kind of really need now that Niskanen's gone. Who's to say that he can't do that and still have an offensive upside? No one. If anything, it's just adding more tools to his tool belt. And it's like we can throw him here. We can put Myers here. We can run him here. There's no downside unless he can't do it. And then it's all right. Let's reevaluate and we'll go into plan B. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I think you don't learn uh, a ton about a player. Or I feel like you learn more about a player when you put him in a penalty kill role. I remember Travis Sandheim started killing penalties. And a lot of people were like, hey, he's pretty, 
pretty good at killing penalty, penalties. And, I, and a lot of people didn't think he would ever really do that. They always viewed him as an offensive-minded guy that would play on a power play, um, et cetera. I think with Myers, what Fletcher was certainly doing was you can always motivate younger players by getting them excited about playing less glamorous roles. And penalty kill is obviously, you know, you don't get a lot of shine for that. Uh, no one's going to look at that. You know, not many people look at that and see numbers and see statistics and say, hey, he was a great PKer. But it's a great way to motivate a younger player of, hey, we're very high on you and we know you have upside in so many different ways. But we really think you can kill penalties and we want to see you do that. Get excited about that. And then that's a great way to motivate a younger player. Have him do something less glamorous and then you give him more in terms of offense. Taryn, for you, where do you really like to see Myers next season? Where do you think he can grow? You look at his regular season, he had four goals in 50 games. Then he came out and scored three goals in 16 games over the playoffs. There's clearly offensive upside as well. Yeah, I mean, Phil Phil is such an interesting kind of case study because there were really not expectations for him. And he was kind of a blank canvas with a lot of natural athletic ability and a ton of potential. I mean, that's really been Phil's career so far. I think that's sort of why when you hear Chuck Fletcher talk so much about getting him on the PK or this, that, or the next thing, I think they realize Phil is a, um, like a no ego kind of guy with a ton of just natural athleticism. And he's, he's developing um, a knack for the game in certain situations at a really rapid rate. I think that's what we saw in the playoffs is where a lot of people were struggling for, uh, it could be a plethora of reasons uh, on every side of every team um, given the current situation is Phil is so young, has great size, has great speed, is developing that natural sense for the game at the NHL level um, so quickly, really, that he was able to capitalize on that. That At least that's what I saw from my perspective. Um, but I do think that's why they sit there and they say, okay, we have a, a really malleable player. And being a PK guy, A, this team that struggled terribly on the power play took tremendous pride in its PK last year. And so I think getting him involved in that, especially given the loss of Matt Niskanen on the peak, on the, uh, the penalty kill is huge. And then beyond that, the, the interesting thing was the question that was lobbied to um, – to Chuck Fletcher was about Ivan Provorov's pairing and then also about the future of Phil Myers in a compound kind of question. And I found it really interesting because Chuck kind of over and over again in his answer in a few different sentences had said, I really like Travis with Phil. I really like Travis with Phil. It's, it's totally Elaine Bino's call, which I also appreciate about Chuck Fletcher. I think he has a ton of respect for the coach that he hired, which is obviously always a good thing. But um, I really like Travis with Phil. So to hear him say, I really like Travis with Phil makes sense. I think they were both really good for each other's growth um, because I think they understand each other's game at this point, um, which is also huge because I don't know that when they started bringing up Phil at the beginning of the season, that everyone was either comfortable with or understood the full identity of what his game was just yet. I don't think he understood what the full identity of his game was just yet. And as the confidence grew, 
the results came and as the results came, the confidence grew and one bred the other and it became mutually beneficial for everyone. So I think the thing is, and, and it was really reassuring when I interviewed Phil, I, I don't even remember if it was last month at this point, it's all bleeds together. But um, when I interviewed Phil recently is Phil still has no ego about any of it. <laughs> and he's still not overly impressed with himself. And he says, I'm working out the same way I did before last year. I'm, I'm focusing on getting better at everything. It's not like, I think he's trying to target some specific part of his game and whatever. Um, and the big concern was with him was ceiling super high, but the floor can be really low in terms of he can make huge phenomenal looking plays, or he can make massive, terrible looking mistakes when they first started calling him up. And the more he's up and the more confidence he gets, I think the more you see big mistakes, minimized. So it's, I, I would like to see Phil just have a really, really solid year beginning to end. That would be a huge step for him is just to have a super solid year where he goes, look at me, look at how dependable I am. Oh, and by the way, I can skate like the blazes and I'm like six foot five. So I think, I think uh, that that's what I would love to see out of Phil Myers this year. I'm sure some people would love to see him put the puck on a rope again, like he did a few times, but last year in the postseason. but um, I just would like to see a, a solid fill year. Cause that's what we met. And it's getting good. Yeah. Solid. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Flyers Talk is presented by Wells Fargo. Whenever our communities need us, Wells Fargo is here to help. So we'll have to see what role Philip Myers plays in, but obviously the excitement is there about Philip Myers and his potential. Uh, and there's plenty of ways the Flyers can use him. And we'll have to see how much he plays a factor into the Flyers' start to this season. 56 games, obviously the start becomes a lot more important. I found it very interesting. Sean Couturier on Monday told the media the first thing that came to his mind about taking the next stride in, in this season is getting off to a quick start. And he mentioned the lockout shortened season, 2013, uh, I think it was 2012-13, the lockout shortened season. The Flyers did not get off to a good start. They dug themselves a hole. And then obviously fewer games gives you much, much less time to make up for it, and it burned them. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, I looked it up. They, they, lost, they lost six of their first eight games that season, and it looks like they were, I think, 12-15 at one at one point. Uh, just not a good start, and it, and it really cost them. We know what they, the Flyers did last season in October to open the season. It was so-so, but we also mentioned the travel was just absolutely crazy. Once things kind of maybe normalized, 
They got it together in November. Do you have any concerns, Brooke? We'll start with you. Any concerns about this team maybe not having a fast start and it could cost them? Um, again, it's really hard to kind of base things off of previous seasons because even with the lockout year and everything, it wasn't the exact situation that they're going through now. Granted, it's also a completely different team. The league is constantly evolving anyways. Um, so while I, obviously there are some concerns, you know, they haven't played in a few months. I feel terrible for the handful of teams that really haven't played since March. Oh my um, gosh. That stinks. <laughs> you don't even think about that. No. Um, I'm thankful that the Flyers aren't in that situation. I'd be more concerned for them, those eight teams, than the ones that had a little bit of playoff time um, in the summer. But I really think that it's it's going to be a different kind of slow start where I don't think it's going to affect them specific. It's, it's hard to explain. Like, I think that everybody's going to have a slower start to this kind of season, given how long it's been since they've played. Um, hmm. I don't think it's going to be anything of concern because travel isn't a huge factor. And that's again, so beneficial for the flyers specifically, because I feel like they've always been running and running and now they just, they're able to just focus solely on their game. Also last season, there were so many things that, and while it wasn't a slow start, you said it was so, so um, October really was the month for the flyers last year where they were building chemistry. They were still trying to figure things out behind the bench. Elaine Vigneault was still trying to know and get to know his new guys, his new teammates, his new team, his new team, not teammates. He coaches the team. That is a fact. Um, but it really just comes down to the fact that aside from a very few amount of players, this team has been together for at least one full season and that's very beneficial for them. There's nothing really drastic aside from the fact that there's not going to be any fans in Philly that is going to be that much of a concern right now. Um, granted, things can change. They, I mean, I, again, I'm basing things off of the flyers that we saw 2019, 2020, not really when things pick back up with the return to play tournament. So if we get that flyers team, that was riding a high in January through March, then it's going to be something special. If it's a little slow, it could be a concern because there is only 56 games, you know, but I think that that's something that's in every single player's mind now where I know you always hit the cliche, you know, it's big two points, big two points, every game counts, you know, um, they do every game counts. Now it is a quick rush paced playoff race from the start of the season so uh, it I don't have any concerns that they're not going to have that kind of mentality going into it but also I don't I don't know I really don't see there being issues um in just terms of a slower start hopefully that's the case this is not something I want to be wrong about. <laughs> out, of, out of everything that I've been saying the past few weeks, a slow start is something that I hope does not exist. Knock on wood, I don't want it. Not in Philly. Like, like you mentioned, um, last year I think was just totally different because 
We know the chaos that the travel presented. And like Brooke, you, like you said, so much was new. There was a new head coach implementing a totally new system. You had two new assistant coaches overseeing your two special teams units and them in implementing new styles as well there. You had two major new faces in Matt Niskanen kind of overseeing the D group and being a mentor there. You had Kevin Hayes thrown into the lineup. He's new. There was just so much new and it can take a month sometimes to get it together on top of crazy, crazy, crazy schedule. So uh, I think the Flyers will be much more prepared. And like you said, Brooke, no matter what players in an 82 game season, they care about the beginning of the season, but deep down in the back of their minds, they definitely know, Hey, this is, not a sprint, it's a marathon. It's 82 games. If we lose game two and game four, it's not the end of the world. Whereas now, definitely, I think there will be an extra sense of urgency that, yes, this is 56 games. We know it is not a longer season, and we do need to start fast. We do need to understand that it's important to not kind of slog through this opening month here. Uh, so I think they'll realize it and understand the importance of it. Taryn, how about you? Um, one, I love that Brooke referred to the, the playoffs as the return to play tournament. I just wanted to. Well, they, they like, returned to play and then it was I, the playoffs. Brooke, you know what Brooke, I meant? Brooke, I'm, I'm not, I'm not picking. I literally, cause that's no, but that's not part of the thing is that's what it felt like. Was it felt like, you know, I, I won't take anything away from the Tampa Bay, from the lightning, because I feel like they might've won anyway. Like if nothing else changed, but, oh, yeah. um, and I don't think that I, I think it tournament might've been a little bit different for the flyers. If the season just went on as planned and Corona wasn't a thing, but I don't know overall that I think the, the rest of the playoffs would have played out any different, but it is funny because it's like, I think it did kind of feel that like, even for those of us who are covering it, like the, the high of them making it to the second round for the first time since I was a junior in high school was massive, but like it was, it was a different year. Um, I just like I, I laughed when you said it and I didn't want to interrupt you because I was like, yeah, that's the vibe. Um, so <laughs> back to the schedule. Um, the thing that's going to be bless you, Jordan, the thing that's going to be wild I about. I coughed. I'm sorry. Bless you, Jordan. <laughs> did you cough or did you sneeze? I, I coughed. I coughed. Oh, oh okay. Never mind. Then. I take my blessings back. Um, Regardless. Uh, so the thing that's going to be wild about the tournament, I think is and this is the one thing that i think everybody's gonna have to settle into and the team that handles this the best might end up being the team that mentally makes it through this the best there's going to be violent swings in points like when it comes to the playoff race violent swings because you could have i and i remember this from i want to say it was two years ago but it might have been last year at this point i don't remember we did a schedule breakdown of how many games the flyers had against Metro division teams in a certain run of games and the amount of potential point swing between them and somebody, I want to say it was the caps who had a ton of Metro games at the same time. And if the caps lost a bunch of them and the flyers won a bunch of them, it was like some crazy like seven or 11 point situation. Um, but that could happen. Like the, the flyers could be leading leading the East at some point and then could go lose two games to Boston. And then all of a sudden Boston's up on them. And then who like, you could just get massive separation in one weekend or 
come super close within a weekend and it could swing violently all the time because you're only playing other teams within the division. And so is every single other team. So if somebody goes into Pittsburgh and steals two of them and Pittsburgh's hot on the flyers heels, all of a sudden you, you feel a little bit comfortable. You feel a little bit of separation, but then if, if you go to New Jersey and you lose two to New Jersey, does that, paying you less than if you lose two to like say a Boston or an Islanders team um, teams that you're really duking it out with at the top. It's, it's going to be interesting because I think you're, you're either going to have massive separation of just teams that do well and teams that don't um, all things depending on health and safety and every other, you know, unexpected thing that's going to pop up. Um, or I think you're going to have a ton of parody and it's, it's just going to look like one of those races at the carnival where it like, looks like somebody's leading then somebody catches up and then it looks like somebody's leading because, because of how much, I mean, every single game means more, not just because there's less games, but because of the way that the season is set up, only four teams are going to make it there. I mean, there's four teams that you could look at the schedule. I mean, there's probably five. You could look at the schedule right now and say, these are five playoff teams. I, I think the East is the best division of the four divisions in terms of playoff contenders. Um, and if you have a bad run of games, it, it doesn't just hurt you in that you don't get points. It hurts you in that your division rivals earn those points. And that's an interesting thing because of course that happens in a regular calendar season, but if you lose to the Canucks, that helps them in their playoff race. And it kind of just keeps you at the same place in your playoff race. Whereas if you lose to the Capitals four times in a row, it, it adds points to them and takes points away from you. And all of a sudden the gap is this big instead of this big. So I think the mental pressure of that is going to be um, really interesting. But I think when you look at, like an Elaine Vigneault is a huge pickup for a year like this. I mean, a coach who has a ton, a ton of experience, a lot of playoff experience um, where essentially, I mean, every, every game is essentially like a playoff series because if you, you just don't lose the game, it adds to the other team's win total and that matters in the scope of things. Um, and Elaine Vigneault is used to those high pressure kind of situations I think it'll be interesting because obviously with Barry Trotz and the Islanders, I think he's kind of equipped really well for this type of year as well. Um, I mean, there's great coaches all over the, the East, so I don't even know why I'm breaking it down team by team, but I, that's the interesting part for me is, is that it, it's not just a thing where you lose points, but everything else stays the same. It's, it's you lose points and everyone else is moving at the same time. And that's going to be a wild thing to see every single night because we're not used to that. And Flyers could be fourth team trying to duke it out for a playoff spot and drop to like team number eight within a night, depending on how results turn out. And and they could make up for it the next weekend and be back and forth. Like it's going to be super interesting, but I, it's going to stress me out. Yeah. <laughs> just trying to keep up with it. It's, it's, crazy. I just, I imagine what the last month of regular season play looks like, like mid early April to mid early May. 
and how many graphics I'm going to have to do of where they're at and what needs to happen for them to make it. How It's just going to be. It's going to be like the giant cork board with all the red strings trying to figure it out. Um, Yeah. I'm I'm telling you, I'm just going to like start a bunch of wind up toys and put little jerseys, little sweaters on each of them and just let them go. And, and that's about, I think, as indicative of what's going to happen as any single night is because everything moves. It's just, I know I said it eight times. It's just, it's wild. Everything is going to move in, in a reciprocal way for everyone. You know, it's just, everybody's going to keep flip-flopping all over the place or you're going to see people who are really dominant, who are just going to seem so, so dominant because they're not just collecting points. They're stealing them from other teams. It's going to be wild. I'm stoked. I'm also a little scared. So. Yeah. A little scared, a little stoked, but it's going to create a ton of fun. Like you said, the, the, the games towards the end of the playoff push, just imagine the intensity there because obviously as we've learned lesser games, but also you have already played those teams a number of times. So there's already probably some animosity building. There's a familiarity there. Um, familiarity. There we familiarity. go. Thank you, familiarity. Yeah. Lots of Anonymity. So there's going to be a lot of that there, uh, which will make those games just highly intense. I think two important things this season. One, Elaine Vigneault, head coach, a guy that we've learned is very good. Yes, Taryn. <laughs> who, do you, who do you think is going to get the most fights this year? Not player, like teams, because calling cards are going to be all over the place. Yeah, who's fighting? Mm. Who's fighting? Are like, is there COVID rules against fighting that I missed? I just did a big NHL changes package the other day, and I didn't see any like fighting rule changes. But I might have. They might not have been. I don't think so. No, and I, I, I and I didn't see anything. And then also, I felt like we would have heard of that. A bit, yeah, it'd been like no fights. What? Okay, so who's? I can't wait. People yeah, are going to fight. People are going to fight. Okay, sorry. Ding, I'm ding. done. I just, there's there's going to be so many calling cards. You see these people so many times and, you're, and you don't like each other. Like, some of these guys genuinely like each other off ice and it's like it's all cool and fine and dandy. Some of them genuinely don't. Yeah. And that's going to be rad. <laughs> that will, rad indeed. <laughs> Kevin Hayes said it the other day. He thinks there's opportunity for a lot of bad blood <laughs> um, and understandably so. And so we'll have to see. Elaine Vigneault will be very important. A guy that knows how to turn the page, get his team to turn the page. And I think mental fortitude will be important because there's pressure. There's pressure from the onset. And then uh, you're going to be seeing these teams a ton. And season series sometimes can get in your head too. But it should be fun. And I know Brooke is excited to watch it. Taryn is excited to watch it. And I, myself, very excited to watch it. Brooke Desher, thank you so much as always. Great chatting with you and can't wait to chat more. Taryn Hatcher, thank you so much as well. Cannot wait to see you on the broadcast, on the TV, and cannot wait to talk to you more before the season starts. Special thank you to Ben Berry, our podcast producer as well. And Flyers fans, as always, thank you for listening. This is the latest Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, please rate and subscribe, and we cannot wait to talk to you next time.